Hey, it's John, and welcome back to another episode of The Bible in Life. If you are a new listener to The Bible in Life podcast, welcome. Thanks for being a part of The Bible in Life family and The Bible in Life podcast. And, you know, we've had listeners over the last, I don't know, three or four weeks from places like India, Hong Kong, Philippines, South Africa, Western Australia, Eastern Australia, all over the United States. Uh, last check, I had like listeners in 35, 37 of the 50 United States, listeners in Canada, listeners in the UK. Uh, so listeners all over the place. And so thank you for uh, tuning in. Thanks for listening to The Bible in Life. And again, if you are new to the show, welcome. I'm so glad you're here along with us. Also, if you're are a pastor at a church, or maybe you're an elder or a church leader at a church, maybe you're a missionary, and you've been just wishing you had some more resources to help train and equip the people in your sphere of influence, in your ministry, in your church, in your organization, just know on my website, I've got some online courses that are designed to do just that. In a lot of ways, they're sort of like trying to fill that middle ground where it's like, man, I, I've been growing in my faith, I've been learning, I've been, you know, I've been following Jesus, but I know there's more and I know I want to really uh, continue to, to understand Jesus, get to know God, be able to follow Jesus better, walk by the Spirit. What is that, what is that more? And a lot of times in church ministry particularly, man, we just have a really hard time uh, helping train and equip people, at least in the States. Everyone's so busy. People are scattered. It's hard enough to get them to come to church on Sundays, yet alone bring them to other courses or classes or trainings or events. And and so I have been putting together online courses to really equip churches and Christians to grow in their faith together. And and so if you're a pastor, a church leader, a missionary, and you're looking for some resources like that, I actually have uh, monthly subscriptions available for churches. I have a whole bundle of my courses where it's about a, a 25% discount in a bundle. And so you can check that out on, on my website, johnwhitaker.net slash courses. I will put a link down in the notes below. But just wanted to make sure you were aware of that, if that would be helpful to your church, helpful to your ministry, to know that there's a way that you could put Bible training resources, disciple-making resources, right in the palm of people's hands where they live every day, so that they, through their uh, computer, phone, tablet, whatever, they can actually be trained and equipped and grow in their knowledge of God and their knowledge of Jesus. So if that would be helpful to you, check that out on my website, johnwhitaker.net slash courses. I'll put a link in the notes below to that as well. All right, over the course of the summer, we have been walking through Romans 6, 7, and 8. And today we're going to wrap up this study of this really central section of Scripture that helps us understand that our salvation in Christ doesn't just free us from the penalty of sin, it also frees us from the power of sin. Another way to say that is we're not just, uh, you know, forgiven of our sins and given a ticket to heaven. We're also uh, made new creations in Christ and delivered out from under the authority of this present evil world, as the Paul, as the way Paul puts it in Galatians chapter 1. And so we have been set free from the authority and the power and the dominion of evil and sin. And we have the capacity to live a totally different kind of life as God's people in this world. And that's what makes it possible for us to really be a city set on a hill so that we can shine to the watching world a new way of being human, a different way of being a human family, a different way of doing life together and life individually so that uh, we could draw people into Christ. And so 
that's really the heart of this section is Paul has helped us understand that we're free from sin and what that means. And that doesn't come about by the law or by law keeping. It comes about, as we saw in our last episode, by walking by the Spirit. And so in this section of Romans chapter 8, we're going to continue that discussion. In fact, we're going to pick up in Romans chapter 8, verse 9, as we kind of wrap up this whole study and wrap up specifically, how do we live free in Christ? And notice Romans chapter 8, 9 says, however, that's the very first word, however, strong contrast. It also means we're right in the middle of a sentence, right in the middle of a thought. And so we need to make sure we don't lose the flow of thought that we uh, discussed in our last episode as we jump into this section in this episode here. And so Bear in mind the flow of thought Romans chapter 8 picks up with after Paul has been detailing at the end of chapter 7 really the torment of trying to please God by virtue of the Torah and how it didn't work. Who's going to set me free from this body of death? Well, Romans 8 picks up by saying that we're, we're free by the power of the Spirit, that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ, that God by His grace has... Uh, condemned sin, didn't condemn us, and therefore, because of the Spirit at work in us, we are now liberated from sin and from death. And so he talks about how that comes about through walking by the Spirit and where we where we really set our mind, that the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the Spirit is life and peace. And And so he's ended this section just before us by talking about that idea that those who are in the flesh are hostile towards God. Flesh people are hostile towards God. They're insubordinate and they're full of death and their life is on the road to death. That's where this however comes in. Romans 8, 9, however, he jumps right in and says, however, you're not in the flesh, but in the spirit. He wants to to proclaim loud and clear that if you're in Christ, then you guys are not in the flesh, but you're in the spirit. You're not a flesh person. You're a spirit person. If you are a Christian, if you put your faith in Jesus, then you are a totally different kind of human being than someone who's not in Jesus, someone who's outside of Christ is a flesh person, but in Christ you're a spirit person, and that's the point. So you're not in the flesh, but you're in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. And so when we come into Christ, we put our faith in him, and ultimately we turn away from our old life, we're baptized into Christ, we confess our faith in Christ, all of that, then the Spirit is poured out within us, and now we're spirit people. We're new creations in Christ, and that's what enables us to ultimately live free in Christ. That's what sets us free from the power of sin and death. And so if you're in Christ, you're in the Spirit. You're a spirit person. And then he goes on in the second half of verse 9 and says, But if anyone doesn't have the Spirit of Christ, he doesn't belong to him key point here is that the line of demarcation for God's people now is no longer the Torah and the Old Covenant. The line of demarcation for God's people now is the Spirit. What marks out God's people now? Well, it's the Spirit within us, God's very own Spirit. In fact, look at verse 9 closely, and the, the Spirit is described as the Spirit of God. And then in the next sentence in verse 9, it's described as the Spirit of Christ. So here in verse 9, we have all three members of the Godhead working on our behalf 
to deliver us and set us free from sin and death. It's the Spirit of God the Father. It's the Spirit of Christ himself. Um, If you don't have the Spirit, Father, Son, Spirit, the Christian life is life in this grand uh, Trinitarian experience of God himself. We're brought into who he is, and we get to enjoy the love relationship between him. We get to enjoy the experience of Father, Son, Spirit, all working to rescue us and redeem us from this present world. Another important note just on that phrase is, um, Spirit of God, okay, we can do that. But notice it's also the Spirit of Christ. He's described as the Spirit of Christ. And that's a really important phrase because just the word Spirit, we have a hard time conceiving of that, don't we? What, what What is a Spirit? What does it look like? And The phrase Spirit of Christ reminds us that the Holy Spirit is a person. He is a person who is very closely related to Christ, a person who is very much like Christ. It is the very Spirit of Jesus himself. And so that, that, in a very real sense, puts a face on the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit isn't sort of this gray, oblong blur in our mind. It's a, it's, The Holy Spirit is a person who is like Jesus himself, who has the same character, the same compassion, the same kindness, the same love for purity and holiness that Jesus himself has. The Holy Spirit himself has that same sort of character. So he is the Spirit of Christ. So the main point here is, who are we? Well, we, if we're in Christ, are spirit people. We have the spirit of Christ himself dwelling within us, and we belong to Christ. And so Paul now is going to draw out some implications of that in the sentences that follow. He says in verse 10, if Christ is in you, even though the body is dead because of sin, which means even though the body is dying, right, there's death in this body because of sin and the fallenness of the world, yet the spirit is life because of righteousness. And probably, even though here in the the translation I'm looking at says the spirit is alive, meaning the human spirit, probably because of the context, it's more likely the spirit himself. So our body may be dying, yet the spirit is life, has given us life because of righteousness within us. And so he says in verse 11, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. That is God himself. So if God's spirit dwells in you, well, God's spirit raised Jesus from the dead. So he says, he who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies as well through his spirit who dwells in you. And so God is going to, this mortal body that is dying because of fallenness and sin, well, there's a new body awaiting us. And so he will give life to our mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in us. And that's really important. In fact, Paul will go on later in chapter 8 that we're not going to look at in this particular study. But in later in chapter 8, he'll emphasize the idea of the resurrection of our body and the whole creation is on tiptoe waiting for this day when uh, the Spirit, uh, God through his Spirit, is going to give life to our mortal bodies and usher in this brand new creation completely and totally. And so, if you are in Christ, if you have the Spirit of God dwelling within you, then God is going to raise up your mortal body through His Spirit who dwells in you. And so, there is resurrection looking, uh, waiting for us in the future for us. All right, now with that then, another implication. He uh, begins to turn specifically towards our lifestyle implication for now. And so, 
we have life because of the Spirit. We belong to God because of the Spirit. We have great hope for even our dying body because of the Spirit. So then, verse 12, so then, brothers and sisters, we are under obligation not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. So the flesh is all around us, right? The fallen world is all around us. Uh, broken down humanity is all around us. We have participated in that. We have the re residual habits of the body that are part of that. All the stuff we've talked about in earlier episodes on the podcast as we've worked through this section of Scripture, but we're not under obligation to it. That word obligation means, you know, it has the idea of owing. We owe nothing to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. We don't have to indulge fleshly desires. We don't have to indulge fleshly human culture and fleshly human ambitions. We're under obligation to not to the flesh. We owe it nothing. For, he says in verse 13, if you're living according to the flesh, you must die. The flesh is a dead-end street. That's where it's going. It always leads to death. It brings about deadly things in our life, poisonous things in our life, and the ultimate end of it is death. So if you're living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you're putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Um, and so, how do we live out this freedom in Christ? How do we live out um, the, the liberation we've experienced? By putting to death the deeds of the body through the Spirit. Uh, that the Spirit is there empowering us and helping us put to death the deeds of the body. N.T. Wright puts it this way. He says, Paul sees that there are styles of behavior that like weeds left to grow unchecked, have the capacity to take over the garden and choke out all the flowers. There's only one way to deal with such things. They must be uprooted and killed off. And the Spirit is the one who helps us do that. Another quote is from Kenneth Birding, a great little book on walking by the Spirit and life in the Spirit. I'll actually link it in the notes down below. It's a small little book. It would be worth your time going through looking at some of the key texts on walking by the Spirit. And it's Great, really, New Testament theology, but done in practical sorts of ways to help us uh, live out the Spirit. It's by Kenneth Birding, and Kenneth Birding on this passage says this. He says, So in prayerful trust and continual dependence upon the empowering of the Holy Spirit, we take action so that the sinful deeds of the body aren't given any life. We prepare ahead of time for the day of temptation through prayer, study of the Word of God, growth in faith. We carefully avoid places and situations in which we would be tempted, and we stand firm as the situation requires. And that's what's really important to notice in this passage. He says, For if you're living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, we take action, as Kenneth Birding points out. We do so by the power of the Spirit, with the help of the Spirit, but we are still responsible. It's not just letting go and letting God. It's not just, you know, thinking it's just going to happen automatically. We take action. You are putting death to deeds of the body by the Spirit. And so there is a cooperation on our part and the Spirit's part. We work together to put to death the deeds of the body, the Spirit empowering us and us taking action to live out the new life that we have in Christ. And as we do that, then life begins to be the norm for us and the road we're on is the path of life, the way of life. It ultimately ends in life forever, life in new creation, eternal life with God and all of God's people forever and ever. And then in verse 14, 
Paul actually says something that I think is a real important clarification for a lot of kind of pop Christian thinking today. Listen to what he says in verse 14. He says, for, notice that, he's explaining what he just said about putting to death the deeds of the body. That's what for means. So for all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Uh, Notice what it means to be led by the Spirit of God. Here in this passage, it is... uh, being led by the Spirit of God is explaining putting to death the deeds of the body by the Spirit. And primarily, that's consistent in Paul, that primarily being led by the Spirit of God is not some sort of mystical guidance, not hearing the Spirit's voice. The Spirit may do that. The Spirit can do that, right? Like certainly if the devil can tempt us towards bad, God can prompt us towards good. So the Spirit can do that. But primarily and fundamentally, being led by the Spirit is walking by the Spirit and putting to death the deeds of the body by the Spirit. It primarily has to do with living out the Spirit's kind of life. That's what it means to be led by the Spirit. And all those who are living that way, he says, these are the sons of God. Now, don't take offense, ladies, that it says sons of God. There's actually a very good reason for that with where he's going to end. He's going to end with the idea of heirs in this thought progression and in cultural context, those who could inherit were sons. And thus he's using that language to highlight this idea of anybody, everybody, notice all who are being led by the Spirit, these are the sons of God. These are the ones who are the God's children and therefore legitimate heirs is the idea of being sons of God. For he says in verse 15, you haven't received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, right? You're not God's slaves, Uh, But you have received a spirit of adoption as sons. We've been adopted into God's family. Um, The Holy Spirit is the spirit of adoption within us that makes us God's children, marks us out as God's children, by which we cry out, Abba, Father. Oh man, there's so much we could say here on this. But notice... The God's very own spirit dwells within us to mark us out as God's kids. Why? Because God wants us uh, in his family. He wants us to think of ourselves as his sons and his daughters. And he wants to be known by us as his children. And he is our Abba, our Father. Man, that's so, so powerfully important for us that God... The great eternal God, the all-powerful creator God, the infinite one, wants to be known by you and by me as Abba, Father. He wants us to think of him as our dad, not just as the almighty, the infinite, the mystical great God who we can never understand. He wants us to draw near to him as a son to a dad, as a daughter to a dad, Abba, Father. And there's probably several implications of the word Abba, right? That Abba was just the way a Jewish son or daughter would refer to uh, his dad, not in a formal sense, but just that was just the language of family. That was the language of the household, dad. Um, it's like when I get a text from my daughter or my son, hey, dad, they know they have instant access to me, and that's the language they, they use, hey, dad, right? Because They're my son. They're my daughter. They're grown up. They're married. They have their own kids. But I'm still their dad. And God wants to be known by us as dad. And so uh, he is father. Not only that, Abba is the Jewish word for dad. Pater is the Greek. This translated father is the Greek word for dad, right? 
Greek, Jew, it doesn't matter. We are God's son, God's daughter, and he's our dad. And so we have been ushered into this family relationship with God by which we now call him Abba, Father. We cry out, Abba, Father. In fact, verse 16 says the Spirit himself helps us make that cry. The Spirit testifies with our spirit, not to our spirit, really important, with, co-testifies. Our, our own heart cry of Abba, Father, the Spirit prompting and enabling us to make that cry, Abba, Father, and the Spirit along with us together, both crying out to God, Father, Dad, and thus that is confirming to us that we are God's children, crying out to Him as our Dad. And if we're His children, then we're heirs. I told you that's where we were going to end, heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Christ as God's appointed right-hand man. Um, yes, he's more than a man, but he's God's right-hand man, fully God, fully man. And we get to inherit everything that's been promised to Christ. We get to inherit that as well as God's heirs if we're in Christ and if we have the Spirit. And so by virtue of the Spirit, we have been marked out as God's very own sons and daughters and heirs of everything that God has promised to Jesus, heirs of everything God has promised to his people. New heavens, new earth in which righteousness dwells, a world reborn. That's where it's all going. And he even adds, now, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. In the present uh, in the present, there will be hardship, difficulty, suffering, suffering temptation and battling that and putting to death the deeds of the body, suffering the weakness of a fallen world and all that goes with that. Yes, we might suffer, but the end result, the end result of this, this life is glorification with him where we're going to be glorified with Christ. We're going to have the same sort of resurrected body that he has in a brand new world. Presently, we suffer but ultimately, there will be a glorified life together with Jesus because we're heirs of God along with Christ. And, and so we know that the road to glory goes through suffering, but the Spirit helps us in that. And even in the midst of that suffering, He testifies along with our spirit that we are the children of God. God is our Father. So my friends, never forget that the life of faith, the Christian life, is ultimately life in and by and through the Spirit. We're not left to live this Christian life all on our own. It's not just merely by our own willpower and our own effort. It is Spirit-enabled, Spirit-empowered effort on our part that enables us to put to death the deeds of the body and to live as the kind of human being we were created to live. And so, life in the Spirit... Life by the Spirit, with the Spirit, through the Spirit, even in the midst of the hardships and suffering of this world, that's what God has given to us in Christ. That's why we're free from the power of sin. That's why we can live like Christ in this world. We can please God. And together we can model for this watching world a different way of being human, a different way of doing life, God's way, the way all people were created to live. We have the the ability and the power to live that way with the help of God's very own Spirit. And as we walk by the Spirit, we can do so with great hope that we will be glorified someday along with Christ in a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. And that's really where Paul goes in the rest of the section. In chapter 8, if you keep reading, he talks about the, 
the creation, longing and waiting in the new heavens and the new earth. That's where the rest of the section goes. We're not going to get into it at this point in the podcast. I'm going to leave it there. And maybe someday we'll come back to that section again. But if you want to know some of my thoughts on that section of Romans 8, I'll put a link to a specific YouTube video that I did on uh, Romans 8, really dealing with a specific question. But I do touch on some of these things at the end of Romans 8. You can check that out uh, over on YouTube. So, hey, once again, thanks for tuning into the Bible and Life. Thanks for your faithful uh, prayers and support. Thanks to all of you who have shared a review of the podcast on iTunes or who have given a, a five-star rating there or even whatever rating you've given on iTunes. Thank you so much for just rating and reviewing the podcast. Thanks for sharing it. Man, uh, I've seen several people share it on Instagram or on Facebook. Thanks so much for that. Really appreciate that. And uh, just bear in mind, this is a listener-supported show. What makes it possible is the generosity of people just like you who uh, give either through my Patreon page or give through the donate button on my website. So thanks for your faithful support of the Bible Online Podcast. God bless you guys. May you go in peace and in the power of the Spirit to please God in every way. We'll talk again soon.